to This Week in Video Games, episode 99. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Kirby and the Forgotten Land, and also Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC, as the first wave of the new tracks has been released. We also had some absolutely huge news this week with a PlayStation Plus revamp, Breath of the Wild 2 news, and E3 has been completely cancelled. There's loads to get into today, so it's a busy show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week, and it's been a massive week of news. And normally, on the main This Week in Video Games show, I don't tend to go into the news, but this week we've had some really, really big drops. We've had the long-rumoured PlayStation Spartacus reveal itself with a PlayStation Plus revamp, and also Nintendo announced a Breath of the Wild 2 delay, and that has been delayed to Spring 2023, and honestly, that surprised absolutely no one. Plus, we also get to avoid the Elden Ring versus Breath of the Wild 2 Game of the Year debate at the end of the year, and I'm pretty thankful for that one. Also, E3 has been fully cancelled, including the digital version, although Jeff Keighley is due to take the reins of the summer programme of games media coverage now, so good luck to Jeff and what he's got in store for us. We've got a few bits of news this week, plus I'm going to be covering some of the big releases with a little bit of extra focus on Nintendo today. Well, before we get into it, I'd love it if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the podcast get some more eyes on it. You know, I do have a link in the podcast description, so if you like the show and want to leave a review, I'd really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out that review on a future episode of the podcast. Also, if you want to support the show further, check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon and check out all the Patreon benefits. Well, that is it for my waffly intro, and also some cheeky plugs too. Well, let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing Kirby and the Forgotten Land. This is the first big 3D outing for Kirby on the Nintendo Switch, and it's really, really great fun. And I'm going to bring you my review of that early on in the show. Well, Mario Kart 8 has also released their first wave of new tracks into the game, and I've been rekindling my love of Mario Kart over the last couple of weeks. Well, it has been a hot minute since I played this much of Mario Kart, but you can easily see why that this is the best-selling game on Nintendo Switch. I'm going to bring you my thoughts on that first wave of tracks later on in the show. Also, The Cycle Frontiers is a new iteration on The Cycle, and that is a PvEVP game where you gather materials, take on PvE creatures, plus also other players before trying to extract and escape with all your valuables without getting killed. It's in closed beta right now, but I did manage to get my hands on a key, so thank you to the publishers and the PR team for giving me that. But it really is showing some promise, and it's got some decent buzz behind it, and I bring you my first impressions of the Cycle Frontier later on in the show. Well, finally, I've been checking out Nightmare Reaper. This is a retro-inspired first-person shooter roguelike game. It's really, really good fun, and I bring you my review later on in the show. Well, I'm going to get into all that after we go through the big news of the week, starting off with Sony's plans for PlayStation Plus. Well, first up then, we've got Sony's PlayStation Plus changes, and this one comes from GameIndustry.biz and Christopher Dring. So PlayStation is uniting PS Now and PS Plus to form a new three-tier subscription service. So the new service, sitting under the PS Plus brand, is set to go live in June, and it's going to include a number of new features. So PlayStation Plus Essentials is the same as PlayStation Plus service today, 
That includes two monthly downloadable games, online multiplayer access, game discounts, and also cloud storage too. It costs the same, so in the UK that's $6.99 a month. You've got $19.99 for three months, or $49.99 for a year. Then you've got PlayStation Plus Extra, and that includes all of the above, but adds a collection of 400 PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 games that can be downloaded. And these games will include the likes of Spider-Man, Spider-Man Mars Morales, God of War, Returnal, Mortal Kombat 11, and also Death Stranding. So more titles, including those from third-party developers, they're going to be announced nearer the time. Additional titles will be added on a regular basis, and PlayStation Plus Extra is going to cost $10.99 a month, $31.99 for three months, or $83.99 per year. Then we've got PlayStation Plus Premium, and that includes all of the above, but also adds classic games from the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, and PSP era, and they can be downloaded or streamed. And you've got time-limited game trials, PS3 and PS4 game streaming, and the service is going to cost $13.49 a month, $39.99 for three months, or $99.99 per year. So for countries where PlayStation streaming doesn't currently exist, such as Latin America, South Korea, and Singapore, the third tier is called PlayStation Plus Deluxe, and includes all of the above but without game streaming elements. And Sony says it plans to expand its cloud streaming benefits to additional markets, with more news on that to follow. PlayStation has decided against putting any of its first-party games onto the service on the day it comes out, in contrast to the Xbox Game Pass equivalent, and in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan said doing such a thing would result in less investment into its studios and could lead to lower quality games. Well, Sony combined the PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now install base, and that sits at around 50 million, with 48 million of those subscribed to PlayStation Plus. Sony hopes to convert more of its PlayStation Plus audience to the higher tiers, whilst lowering the overall price for those who currently subscribe to both services. We have a combined subscription number in excess of 50 million now, and we're happy with that. That is a good number, Ryan told GamesIndustry.biz. But we do feel that we can do better in a way that we offer these services to our gamers and subscribers. For example, 75% of those who've subscribed to PlayStation Now also subscribe to PlayStation Plus, and we think we should be doing better by those people, and that is just one example. Well, I recommend going over to gamesindustry.biz and checking out their articles. They've got some really, really good breakdowns. Christopher Dring always doing some really, really good work. So go on over to gamesindustry.biz and check out that interview. Well, that is the first big piece of news this week. And next up, we've got an explosive piece of news coming out of Nintendo and Breath of the Wild 2 has been delayed, and that has been delayed till spring 2023. Well, Nintendo had originally planned for a 2022 release, however, in a video statement this week, series producer IG Inuma announced the game has been pushed back. So Inuma says, for those of you who have been looking forward to a release this year, we do apologise, he said. As previously announced, the adventure in this sequel will take place not only on the ground, as in the previous game, but also in the skies above. However, the expanded world goes beyond that, and there's going to be an even wider variety of features that you can enjoy, including new encounters and gameplay elements. So Enuma states the team is aiming to make the game something special, and is continuing to work diligently on the game. So footage in the video also included a first look at Link holding what looks to be a degraded Master Sword, so let the speculation commence. 
But it's unknown when we're going to get a good look at the game. The last announcement for the game was last June, when the last trailer was revealed. So big news there with the Legend of Zelda sequel to the Breath of the Wild being delayed to next spring. So I think that is quite good news. There's been some absolute bangers released already this year with Elden Ring, Horizon Forbidden West, so there's going to be plenty of competition for Nintendo this year. So pushing that out to spring kind of just makes sense. And given, also, it looks like the game is going to be absolutely huge, and we really want that quality to be up there to the original Breath of the Wild. Now, personally, I don't really mind too much about the delay. It gives us more time to speculate and get excited for the sequel to the original Breath of the Wild. Well, finally today, we've got one more piece of news, and this again is quite a big one. So E3 has been cancelled, and E3 has been completely cancelled this year. This is coming from a report out of IGN and further confirmation by VentureBeat. So in a statement to VentureBeat, the Entertainment Software Association, who organises E3, said the following. So we previously announced that E3 would not be held in person in 2022 due to the ongoing health risks surrounding COVID-19. Well, today we announced that there's going to be no digital E3 showcase in 2022. Well, the ESA announced in January that a physical convention would not take place, but an online-only version was still a possibility. Well, today's news broke when IGN's Rebecca Valentine confirmed the contents of an email sent to Razer PR lead Will Powers, who tweeted it and stated that a digital E3 was no longer happening as well. And it appears these emails were sent to all the ESA's partners prior to the announcement. So there's not been an in-person E3 since 2019, and due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2020 show was also cancelled, and the 2021 iteration was an online event consisting of trailers and digital booths for media. However, many publishers either decided to participate or appeared in Jeff Keighley's Summer Games Fest, making E3 2021 a shallow disappointment for fans and also the press too. It's likely due to the 2021 show's reception, the ESA also tells VentureBeat that it plans to revitalise E3 in 2023 as a reinvigorated showcase that celebrates new and exciting video games and industry innovations. And also, just to say, this news comes from Marcus Stewart out of Game Informer. Well, slightly disappointing news that E3 2022 is going to be cancelled. It is a shame E3 has been a staple for years, but over the last few years it really, really has declined leaking all those personal details back in 2019. That was an absolute clangor. And last year was a little bit lackluster, to be honest. But it's going to be really exciting to see what Jeff Keighley can do with his Summer Games Fest. And also he has the Game Awards later on in the year. So Jeff Keighley looking like he's going to be the king of games in 2022. Well, that is it for all the blockbuster news this week. Loads to get into there. Well, next up, let's check out my review of Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Well, Kirby in the Forgotten Land is the latest outing for our spherical pink friend and his first outing in 3D. Well, the game is developed by HAL Laboratory and they've done an absolutely wonderful job converting Kirby to the 3D environment, providing some excellent combat, great platforming, and overall a very wholesome and fun experience on Nintendo Switch. Now, I've still got an old school Game Boy in a drawer somewhere, and in the back of this relic of gaming history is Kirby's Dreamland. This was the original outing for Kirby on the Game Boy. It was a side-scrolling platformer which I remember playing a whole bunch as a kid, and since then I've become more accustomed to playing Kirby in Super Smash Bros. But I was really, really looking forward to Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Now, I'm happy to say that I haven't been let down by Kirby. 
this is a great game worthy of your attention if you own a Nintendo Switch. So when we first saw Kirby in the Forgotten Land, we were hoping it would be like Super Mario Odyssey. However, it turns out to be much more similar to Super Mario 3D World, the game that was successfully re-released on Nintendo Switch in 2021 alongside Bowser's Fury. For example, the levels are contained, and as Kirby you've got a bunch of enemies to defeat, platforms to traverse and bosses to battle. You know, Kirby in the Forgotten Land is classic Nintendo design, the levels are really tight, they're packed full of neat and little ideas, and there's also an overwhelming sense of fun, albeit in a confined space. As a Kirby fan, there's plenty of nostalgia in Forgotten Land as well. You know, Kirby's classic copy abilities are present, and perhaps the best they've ever been. You, know, you can suck in an enemy and take on some of their abilities, plus you've got loads of new features too. Mouthful mode has been introduced, which left many Kirby's fans' jaws on the floor during a recent Nintendo Direct with Kirby inhaling a whole car, and then having the ability to drive around just like the object he's holding in his mouth. This mechanic is more than just fun humour, you can solve key puzzles in the game by taking on the abilities of the objects in really interesting ways. Well, The story of the game is a little light, as you can imagine from a Kirby adventure. You've got the Waddle Dees, they've been kidnapped by the big baddie, and they've been caged all throughout the Forgotten Land. Well, The idea is then to cross the lands, find and save the Waddle Dees, and restore your new hub location called Waddle Dee Town. Well, The world itself is something new for Kirby too, so Kirby wakes up in this new world and looks very similar to our own world and it's a rundown post-apocalyptic cuddly version of quote-unquote Earth. Imagine a cartoon version of The Last of Us and you get something similar to The Forgotten Land. And you're going to see a lot of the landscape because much of the game is spent exploring and discovering the secrets or the location for the Waddle Dees. You know, similar to Super Mario 3D World, you've got to find a certain number of Waddle Dees to unlock the next stage in some cases so there's no getting around the exploration. So structure-wise, these levels are set out with five missions to complete, and each time saving a Waddle Dee to add to your collection. So there's a few bonus levels too if you want to get stuck into those, but they aren't really mandatory. So you've got certain objectives that you can complete as well, and they feel new for the Kirby franchise, and examples of these including defeating bosses with certain weapons or eating your way through a number of consumables. So previous Kirby titles have always been not for their ease, and this one does take a different direction. So rather than blowing through all the levels, these new objectives and challenges mix up the gameplay in new ways. So the combat and the platforming isn't going to challenge you like something like Celeste, for example, but it is new for the Kirby franchise to tackle these in different ways of doing things. I'm really looking forward to Nintendo doing more of this in the future with Kirby. Well, as well as the main story, you've also got some side quests. These open up as you play the game to work your way through the levels, and different mini-games they open up too. Well, the different mini-games range from cooking, bowling, ice skating, and spinning coins. You know, some of them, they're better than others, but they all nod back to earlier Kirby games and bring them all together in this new package, and it doesn't really feel like you're being taken out of the main gameplay experience. So it doesn't feel like an obnoxious change, it's all smooth and seamless and feels complementary to the main experience. Well, combat in the game feels good, it's all fairly straightforward as you'd imagine from a Kirby game, However, there's a good amount of variety to the enemies, and there's definitely lots of them. The copy abilities are great fun, plus this time you can upgrade them, having collected upgrade materials throughout the side quest and also in the minigames too. Kirby's got fire abilities, sword abilities, and they can be upgraded to crazy levels allowing you to spear out lava, and also having a giant sword. It's all done in good humour, it's over the top, and it's big and it's bold. Now, after each level, you're going to head back to Waddle D Town, 
which over time gets rebuilt thanks to the progress Kirby makes. And each time you rescue a Waddle Dee, they go back to Waddle Dee Town and help rebuild, meaning slowly over time it becomes a bustling hub, which is a relaxing place to hang out in between levels. As you progress, important features open up including a weapon shop, Kirby gets his own house, finally, and you also have generic vendors where you can pick up health and other supplies. There's also more mini-games here including fishing and a nice boss rush mode made up of bosses you've beat in the game already. And the overall gameplay loop found in Kirby is satisfying, so you can head out into the story mode, save some Waddle Dees, come back to the town and pick up some upgrades, take on some bosses or play some mini-games, and then you can head out back into the story. Kirby and the Forgotten Land isn't too long, you know it can take anywhere between 6 and 10 hours to play through the whole game. There's a few hidden surprises throughout the game, and post-game secrets to find too. You've got some good set pieces including boat rides, car chases, decent boss battles, and also swimming. You've also got an array of environments and set pieces to run through with Kirby, and for his first 3D outing, this is very impressive stuff from Nintendo. I was slightly disappointed at the game's length given its price tag, but it's a small gripe considering the entertainment you're getting with Kirby. Yeah, the game may be short, but the moment-to-moment gameplay is really, really good fun. It's not all plain sailing with Kirby, and there are a few things about the game I wasn't too keen on. Some bosses are fought time and time again, and the environments can feel a little bit samey. So I definitely think there's more positives in the game than negatives, and you can see the pedigree of the development team at work. Kirby and the Forgotten Land is a surprisingly beautiful game, so comparing this to other recent Nintendo Switch games, for example, Pokemon Legends Arceus, this looks much better than that, although not on the level of something like Super Mario Odyssey. This year it's Kirby's 30th anniversary, and this is a great way to celebrate Kirby's birthday. We've seen Kirby before on Nintendo Switch, in the free-to-pay Kirby Star Allies. That felt to me a little bit half-baked, or not quite what we were looking for, but Kirby and the Forgotten Land is much more like it. It does our pink little friend justice. The platforming here is great, the battle system is decent, and the boss battles are big and over the top, and it's all that you'd want from a Kirby title. This is an excellent outing for one of Nintendo's best-loved characters, and it's well worth giving a shot. Well, the developer was How Laboratory, the publisher was Nintendo, of course. It's available for Nintendo Switch, and it was originally released on the 25th of March, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Really, really good fun, and if you are a Kirby fan, this is one not to miss. Well, that's all for now from Kirby, but next up, let's check out my review of the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC Wave 1 and all the new tracks. Well, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is a game I mention every two weeks on the podcast, not because I play it a lot, but because I run through the UK sales charts to check out the best-selling games that week. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is always in the top 10. Now, I think it may have missed two or three weeks since February 2019, and it's approaching 45 million units sold worldwide, easily being the most popular Nintendo Switch game out there. Now, given its popularity, it was only a matter of time before Nintendo made more DLC, and the first batch of tracks are here. Well, today I'm going to run through all the new tracks and review the first DLC wave. Well, Mario Kart is becoming the new Smash Brothers. Well, Smash had a long run of taking a slot of major Nintendo Directs, often opening up the show with a new character. Well, since Sakurai is done with Smash characters for now, Nintendo have found something to take its place, and it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC. 
Well, at the recent Nintendo Direct at the start of 2022, Nintendo announced the multiplayer waves of DLC packs for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Plus, if you're a Nintendo Switch Online subscriber, then you get the content for free. We well, can also purchase the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Booster Course Pass 2 via the eShop. Well, in total, Nintendo, they're going to be delivering 48 quote-unquote new courses to Mario Kart 8. Well, new to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, there are, of course, a mix of tracks from the other versions of Mario Kart, like the Nintendo 64, the Wii, Mario Kart Tour, and the Nintendo 3DS. Well, Wave 1 is here, and we've got two new cups to play, including the Golden Dash Cup and the Lucky Cat Cup. And these include eight new tracks in total, with a mix of tracks from previous Mario Kart titles, including Mario Kart Tour, the lesser-loved Mario Kart Mobile game, and the first outing for the new tracks are a little low-key, although there are some bangers in there. And I was also very sceptical about the Mario Kart 8 Tour tracks, but actually, they're really, really good. So some of the tracks are better than others, of course, but it is a solid lineup overall. So well, let's have a look at the cups in detail and look at the tracks. So we've got the Golden Dash Cup. That's the Paris Promenade from Mario Kart Tour. We've got Toad Circuit from Nintendo 3DS. We've got Choco Mountain from Nintendo 64. And we've got Coconut Mall from the Nintendo Wii. Looking at the Lucky Cat Cup, we've got Tokyo Blur. That's Mario Kart Tour. We've got the Shroom Ridge. That's Nintendo DS. We've got Sky Garden. That's Game Boy Advance. And the final one is Ninja Hideaway. And that is from Mario Kart Tour. Well, Paris Promenade and Ninja Hideaway immediately stand out as great tracks. So personally, I didn't play Mario Kart Tour, so they felt like new tracks to me. And I've heard some grumbling about the graphics, but personally, I didn't really notice. And I think the courses are just fine. You know, there's a nice gimmick on the final lap we have to do something different, which did catch me out at first and switch things up in an unexpected way. But just make sure you're paying attention on that final lap. Ninja Hideaway is probably the best course of the whole pack, and there's been some really good feedback from all the Mario Kart fans. This is a track with multiple routes, and it's a relatively short one compared to some other tracks, but it's really, really good fun and worthy of a place in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Now, as well as the multiple routes, you've got a newfound verticality to the levels, which is really, really impressive, and a twist on the other courses in the pack. It's definitely the most ambitious track in the pack, and I think it's going to be many people's top pick. Well, as well as the new tour tracks, there's plenty of retro Mario Kart courses too. Choco Mountain is the one that I remember the best, given the amount of time I spent with Mario Kart 64. This was probably my most played Nintendo 64 game, so it was really, really good to go back to that course. Now I'm going to be looking out for more 64 tracks in the coming DLC pack. You know, you've got Coconut Mall. That is loads of fun. Again, feeling very new to me, because I didn't play the Wii version as much as I played the N64 version. You know, most of the retro tracks stay pretty true to their original versions, and they don't really play too much with the full Mario Kart 8 bells and whistles. Well, this initial track pack has me torn in a couple of directions. On the positive side of things, I'm surprised and happy with the way that the Mario Kart Tour tracks have translated to Nintendo Switch. They work absolutely great. Plus, I'm liking the retro courses. You know, I'm either getting a hit of nostalgia or catching up on the tracks I've missed. On the negative side of things though, the retro courses haven't been spruced up, they're true to their original model, haven't been brought up to the standard of other Mario Kart 8 courses. You could argue that if Nintendo edited them too much they wouldn't be true to their original form, but I would have liked to see Nintendo do a little bit more. Well, before jumping into the DLC Wave 1, I wasn't too hyped for the rest of the tracks, but this DLC Wave 1 has me hooked once again on Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, 
I've really, really been enjoying these courses. Plus, going back to competing cups I missed in the past. You know, we've got five more waves coming before the end of 2023, and if the Calibre Brother tracks are anything like the first wave, we're in for a real treat. Now, I'd love to see Bowser's Castle, Moo Moo Farm, Calamari Desert from Nintendo 64, plus throw in a few snares tracks too, like Donut Plains 3, and also the classic Mario circuit. Well, that is it for my look at the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe first wave of DLC. Really, really good fun, and I recommend, if you haven't jumped into Mario Kart 8 Deluxe for a while, I really recommend going back to it. Well, that is it for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe for now. Next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And number 9, it's Horizon Forbidden West. That is down two places from last week's number 7. And number 8, it's WWE 2K22. That is down five places from last week's number 3. And number 7, it's New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. That is up 10 places from last week's number 17. And number 6, it's FIFA 22, up six places from last week's number 12. And number 5, it's Pokemon Legends Arceus, down one place from last week's number 4. And number four this week, it's Gran Turismo 7, down three places from last week's number one. And number three this week, it's Elden Ring, down one place from last week's number two. And number two this week, it's a new entry, it's Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And number one, it's another new entry, it's Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Well, congrats to the team at Nintendo and also How Laboratory for that number one slot. Obviously, talking about Kirby and the Forgotten Land earlier in the podcast with that review. I'd love to hear what you think about Kirby. Let me know in the comments or on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast or contact me on Patreon. Would really, really love to hear from you. Well, that is it for the all platform charts for this week. But next up, let's check out the cycle Frontier. Well, the cycle Frontier, currently in closed beta, this is a game that could make some very big waves in the PvPVE space. Well, the game is a bit of a mixed bag of ideas, similar to No Man's Sky crossed with Tarkov, and the closed beta that I've played was riddled with bugs, but hopefully the team are going to iron those out before launch. There's glimmers here of a great game struggling to get out and be fully realised. Well, in the cycle frontier, our play space is called Fortuna 3. This is a wild world where dangerous animals and creatures freely roam about the place, and the weather can be all kinds of wild too. It's our job as a prospector to head down to the planet from the safety of our ship, gather resources, collect intel and battle other players in this combination of PvE and PvP play. Once you've collected your resources and killed a few other players, it's time to make your escape via an extraction ship that can be called in, but do be careful though as calling in a ship is like firing up a signal flare and it's going to attract other savvy players who are going to try and kill you and steal all your Han materials and loot. Well, if you're interested in the Cycle Frontier, then you will have most likely played other similar games like Escape from Tarkov, and more recently, Scavengers. The Cycle Frontier does not feel as polished as these experiences, you know, far from it at the moment. I had issues with the controls in the game, I had issues with the menus, there's plenty of bugs and kinks to be worked out before the game goes live, but, you know, that is what closed beaters are for. The team behind the game recently announced the extension of the closed beta to much fanfare, that's great news, but the game really, really needs more time to be ready. Now, if the game is to be released in its current state, it's going to be torn apart and go the way of something like Hyperscape. Well, the Cycle Frontier can be played solo or with a team of up to three players. 
Now, when you first start out, you've got a basic toolkit, and part of the experience is getting ready for the drop in a hub ship before you go down to Fortuna 3. That included getting kitted out with useful gadgets and tools, and you need a pickaxe to help you hunt down and smash rocks for materials, and you'll also need a mineral monitor to find the rocks in the first place. You'll want to select your weapons as you're going to be meeting monsters and also things trying to kill you as well as other players. A nice feature of the Cycle Frontier, which I hadn't come across before, is inventory insurance. Yes, you heard me correctly, you have to insure your gear. So if you die on Fortuna 3, then you can lose everything, although you do have some space in your inventory called safe pockets, and you have to be careful to select a few items per run to keep for good. It can be brutal to head down to the planet, spend a bunch of time collecting, only to be killed while trying to escape using the extraction ship. But that is what the game is all about. You have to be very tactical with all these things. So if you run out there in the open, you're essentially begging to be killed. You have to think smart, maybe set a few traps here and there, and tempt your opponents out really carefully, otherwise you're going to lose all your precious loot. Balancing the risk and the reward in the game is part of the fun, so the PvE enemies and monsters can be really tough. I was surprised at the amount of damage they can inflict in a short amount of time, plus the health injections don't really give you the expected boost of health. You have to be careful to pick your battles, because if another human player doesn't take your cargo, the semi-deadly creatures definitely will. After you've spent some time foraging down on Fortuna 3, you make your way back to the space station that sits above it, called the Prospect Station. This is our hub zone for the game, and it's full of people and NPCs. You've got three factions there, and they're going to hand out quests. So they're called the Independent Civilian Advisory, or the ICA. You've got the Kolarev Heavy Industries, or Kolarev for short, and also Osiris. The quests have you doing different objectives based down on Fortuna 3, and you'll get a bunch of decent rewards for completing the quests, including weapons and gear. Each faction has its own campaign, which feels like a light MMO. You're not on the level of Final Fantasy XIV or Lost Ark, but there are MMO-like mechanics, and they feel really good in a game like this. Now, Fortuna 3 is split into zones, with two being available in the closed beta. We get access to Bright Sands and Crescent Falls at the moment, and they really differ in terms of scale and difficulty. So Bright Sands is smaller and Crescent Falls is much larger, and you've got the ability to have more players in the server, making it slightly more exciting if player PvP is what you're after. There's 15 players on Bright Sands and 26 players on Crescent Falls, and servers are repopulated as you go, and they reset after 6 hours, meaning you can come across other players' loot if you happen to be there at the end of a cycle. The impressive part of the cycle frontier is that no two trips down to the surface feel the same. Hunting for materials and PvE battles sounds like it could feel very similar time after time, but the game does a really good job of mixing things up and keeping it feel fresh. The weather is variable, meaning sometimes storms roll in and really, really mess around with your plans, especially if you're midway through an extraction, as pilots won't be happy with the changeable conditions. Meteors can crash into the planet, which act as random loot caches as they contain a bunch of valuable resources. There's also mini puzzles in terms of getting generators back up and running. There's also a good amount of variety that keeps you on your toes, and that's not to mention the variables that are lethal to other players. Now, I've spent a good amount of time with the Cycle Frontier, and to be honest, I have slightly been put off by the bugs, but this is what close beaters are all about. It's for finding these kinds of things and listening to player feedback. It does feel like the game needs a little bit more work to be ready. Now, currently, I'm accepting the bugs because of the beta badge, but if this game releases in a state like this, you know, it's really, really going to be torn apart by the audience. I don't want to dwell too much on the negatives, though, 
because somewhere in here there's a decent game trying to get out. If the developers can squash the bugs and get it ready for its full release, it could be a multiplayer hit. Well, the game was developed by Jaeger, it was also published by Jaeger, it's available for PC, and at the moment it's got a yet-to-be-announced release date. Well, that is it for my first impressions of the Cycle Frontier closed beta. There's loads and loads of bugs at the moment, and to be honest, I really, really hope it gets better, but there is a good game in here somewhere. So if you can get into the closed beta, I would recommend trying it out. Well, that is it for the Cycle Frontier, but next up, let's have a look at another first-person shooter, and this one is Nightmare Reaper. Well, Nightmare Reaper is a new first-person shooter with a retro twist from Blazing Bit Games. This one is an homage to old-school first-person shooters like Wolfenstein, Quake and Doom, mixing the retro look and feel with more modern concepts like roguelike elements. The end result is a fun, frantic shooter, and it really gets me nostalgic while offering up a bloody challenge at the same time. So definitely one of Nightmare Reaper's best qualities is the gameplay. There's a huge array of weapons to use, you know, whether that be classic guns, like pistols, shotguns and many more. You can also pick up knives, arrows and even magic books. And that is just the start of it. Each time I play the game I feel like I pick up a new weapon. It's constantly throwing new things at me in terms of gameplay elements for me to try. Nightmare Reaper is also really, really atmospheric. You play as a patient in a psychiatric hospital. You're stuck in a room and you can hear unsettling screams and shouting going on outside your room. You're free to walk around and interact with some of the elements in the room, read the scrolls on the wall or bits of paper, and you can flick on and off the lights, plus you can get into bed. And this is where the action begins as you delve into your nightmares. There's moments in the game which made the hairs stand up on the back of my neck, you know, whether it was a blood-curdling scream or just a sense of being trapped in a small room, unable to escape. Each time you start a level, the layout, the enemies and the items feel like they're randomly generated, meaning no two playthroughs feel the same. There's three chapters in the game to play, and as you make your way through the levels, things get progressively harder. And you've got your standard enemies, which will run and jump towards you. And then you've got tall and imposing enemies with huge health bars, who are much harder to stop in their tracks. As you mow down enemies, you collect coins and other loot, you know, similar to more modern-day looter shooters. There's also loot chests dotted around the map, and you can open up offering other weapons and items. So as you progress through to the next level, you can select one item to keep, which makes starting the next level slightly easier than before. The moment-to-moment -moment gameplay in Nightmare Reaper feels really, really good. The weapons are all solid. There's also some platforming elements in here too. I'm a huge fan of shooters from this era. It's nice to play something that feels like Wolfenstein, but with the modern gameplay features like loot drops, randomly generated levels, and a decent inventory system. Both the graphics and the audio are something to celebrate in the game. The graphics, they're retro-inspired, and they've got that modern 2.5D feel to them, and the environments and the enemies they're varied too, offering up plenty of new things to see and shoot. The audio is very, very creepy and atmospheric, which at times made me feel quite unsettled, but in a good way. You know, I think any time a video game can elicit an emotional response from me, that can only be a good thing, and the audio has a really, really big part to play. So props to the audio team from this game. Yeah, all that, plus a great metal-inspired soundtrack to accompany you while you're mowing down various enemies that get in your way. You know, I'm mostly positive on the game, and I'd recommend it to other shooter fans. While the weapons are varied, the upgrades didn't always feel like they were making me more powerful, and left me feeling a little bit confused. 
Also, while this game is mostly smooth, running around the game for long play sessions can start to overload the senses, but these are small gripes though, in what is an otherwise really, really entertaining game. Nightmare Reaper is a fun and gory trip down memory lane. It takes me back to playing Quake at LAN parties, plus it adds in some modern convenience for good measure. I'm a big fan of roguelikes and this is a new twist for me on that genre, and I think Blazing Bit Games have done a great job with the 1.0 release. I really hope the developers continue to work on the game post-release to work out the minor glitches, but if you're a fan of retro shooters, I think you should definitely check out Nightmare Reaper. Well, the game was developed by Blazing Bit Games and published by Blazing Bit Games. The platform is Windows, originally released on the 28th of March, 2022. And I must thank Blazing Bit Games for providing a review copy of the game, thanks to the team, and good luck with the future of the game. Well, that is it for now for Nightmare Reaper. Really, really fantastic 2.5D retro roguelike shooter. Definitely recommend trying that one out. But next up, let's look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, so far in 2022, it has been a massive year. It feels like the game's been coming and coming over the last few weeks. We've had absolute bangers like Elden Ring, Horizon Forbidden West, absolutely loads of games, and to be honest, I'm thankful for a little bit of a break. In the next few weeks, we don't have as many games as we've been used to in February and also in March, but let's get into what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. So first of all, we've got Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga. That's coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S next. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and also PC2. That one is coming out on April the 5th. Also on April the 5th, we've got MLB The Show 2022, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and new this year is coming out to Nintendo Switch. Then on the 7th, we've got Chinatown Detective Agency. There's Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Then on the 7th as well, we've got Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers Edition, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and also PC. We've got Godfall Ultimate Edition, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Also on the 7th, Sherlock Holmes, The Devil's Daughter. That is coming out on Nintendo Switch. We've got Slipstream, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. And the final one to come out on April the 7th, that is House of the Dead Remake, coming to Nintendo Switch. On April the 12th, that is the 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, then April the 14th, we've got Cat Cafe Manager. That is coming out to Switch and PC. Finally, on the 14th of April, we've got Road 96. That is coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, and also Xbox One. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week of video games down there in the comments. Also on Twitter, you can catch me at TWIVG Podcast. And I would definitely love to hear from you. Well, thank you so much for watching or for listening and for more This Week in Video Games content like this. Like, subscribe on YouTube and also your podcast app and share with a friend. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. That's TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again, and I'll see you really, really soon.